This episode of the EdTech Podcast is sponsored by Learnosity. Learnosity is the global leader in assessment solutions. Serving over 700 customers and more than 40 million learners, its mission is to advance education and learning worldwide with best-in-class technology. Learnosity's specialised expertise and pre-built assessment APIs make it easy for modern learning platforms to quickly launch fully featured products, scale on demand and always meet fast-evolving market needs. Visit learnosity.com today to discover how. This week's episode is sponsored by Worktrip. Worktrip is a marketplace to help high-growth companies book team off-sites. Worktrip brings together venues and experiences, coaches, facilitators and inspiring speakers and helps companies set their intentions for gathering and learning together. If you're thinking of organising a team off-site, let us help you at worktrip.com. If you're a coach, facilitator or a thought-provoking speaker, contact us about adding your listing. And finally, Worktrip has big ambitions. If you want to invest in a better world of work and learning, get in touch and we can share our plans. everyone and welcome back to the EdTech podcast where we aim to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. A big shout out to everyone getting to the end of another term or work sprint and a big shout out to Learnosity for supporting this week's episode. In the last few weeks I've been busy running workshops on assessment in higher education, attending UX workshops for my new startup Worktrip And I'm feeling a bit achy this morning after a 100-kilometre bike ride across the hills of Devon. But before our new episode, some news and updates. First up, the EdTech Next Summit takes place on the 24th to the 26th of October in northwestern Germany. I spoke to Julia Steger, the COO of Eduvation, to tell us all about it. Here's some details. Okay, so yeah, Julia, we're having a great chat. Would you tell us a little bit about um, EdTech Next, what you've got planned and how people can register if they're interested as well? Um, Yeah, of course. Um, We're trying to get a little bit of a different approach um, with this event. We will have a big political main stage with a lot of panel discussion, but then our focus really is to have like seminar tracks where um, the startups who attend these tracks leave after two days um, of workshops saying, wow, we've learned really something we've learned so much um, listened to inspiring other founders um, or talked about HR topics, leadership, investment topics, of course, um, pitch trainings. And um, there's really a lot to discover and we will share the agenda in um, a couple of weeks so everyone can get an overview. And um, with the support from the European Attack Alliance, there will be some country pavilions so you can do a little market discovery for some countries all over Europe And um, yeah, I think it will be a big benefit for um, young companies or for startups, for founders um, to to join and also to use the networking experiences and and get in touch with the others after two years of a pandemic pause. And yeah, you can get tickets um, on um, attacknext-summit.com and the tickets are for free. So um, everyone can attend the whole conference, um, yeah, without any cost, just has to be there. 
Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, yeah, edtechnext-summit.com and it's the 24th to the 26th of October in, now, am I pronouncing this correctly, Bielefeld? Yeah, nearly. Bielefeld. Yeah, Bielefeld. (laughs) And, um, yeah, amazing opportunity because, um, as Julia just mentioned, the entry is free. There are speakers, including the founder and CEO of Go Student, and what what an opportunity to go and uh, learn, network, and potentially uncover an investor or a partner. So go and uh, go and check out the website. Thank you, Julia. What else? Shout out to Maritza Maziello of the Different Ways We Learn podcast, who took part in my podcast training earlier in the year and has now got her podcast out there in the wild. So congratulations to Maritza. A shout out and congratulations also to EHL, who inaugurated a new campus in Lausanne after five years of construction and after more than 385 students from nine schools of architecture around the world submitted their ideas, which ended with the finalists presenting an eco-certified architecture open to the local community and encouraging interactions between students, professors and professionals. So a pretty cool example of the student voice. And uh, yeah, congratulations to that work finally coming to fruition. Right, on to the podcast. Today, we are back with another European Female EdTech Fellowship episode. And this time we're focusing on early years. Here we go. Amazing. So um, after some uh, technical challenges, um, I'm really excited that we have an amazing group of entrepreneurs here to talk about early years in edtech. Um, early years is a traditionally woefully undervalued area of education, but one with potentially the greatest long term impact. So um, it's it's an area that I've followed with great interest in terms of what's happening with edtech. And I think is an interesting um, and complex relationship between technology and early years and some really creative uh, ways of thinking about that now. So um, just to give our listeners a little bit of insight into who we have, um, uh, I'd like to introduce Natalie. So Natalie is the founder and CEO of Kokoro Lingua from Switzerland. And uh, I've got a little bit here. So passionate about international development and communication Natalie lived for five years in Japan, learning the language and communicating in Japanese daily. She proved her worth in large conglomerates, so uh, Gucci, no less, and, and others, and then demonstrated her ability to help with the transformation of a French startup in the medical sector, which then went on to become a national leader. Uh, of the biggest myth or foe in education she'd like to see corrected, she said that it's, uh, it's that digital education is free. Uh, which she says is a complete nonsense as quality material does request investment, research, and that's the same for whether that is delivered in in a digital or traditional way. And her big idea is to help young children to learn foreign languages and who could be better than children their own age. So that's the USP of, of, of what she's working on with online weekly videos of children teaching their own language to children their own age following a pedagogical path. So all of that sounds amazing. I like that whole uh, 
near-to-peer or peer-to-peer teaching methods. So that's very cool. Uh, Next up, we have Marie, uh, who is the CEO of Marbotic from France. Uh, And she says that uh, while parents and teachers express concern over the amount of screen time children are allowed on devices, she asked the question, how can we transform the iPad into a tool for preschool learning? And as a result, she founded Marbotic in 2012 with the ambition of reconciling digital and tangible early learning toys. So we're going to dig into that as well. Uh, next up, Sari, uh, the founder and CEO of Kitty Science in Finland. Um, Sari is the CEO and co- co-founder of Kitty Science. She has 15 years of business experience globally and locally in media, retail, design, ICT and education. Uh, she's worked in marketing and sales positions within large companies, including Samsung, uh, but felt that she wanted to do something more meaningful. And so she joined up forces with an amazing researcher that we're going to find out more about. Uh, and we're also going to hear more about um, partnerships with Kitty Science and those in the media space. So um, I think that's a really interesting area for development around how do you raise interest in early years through popular culture? So, um, or the delivery of early years education through popular culture. So we can dig into some of that. Um, and last but not least, uh, Dominica. So Dominica is the head of education from, for Booker Kids in Hungary, a tech-savvy educator and child psychologist. She is managing the Booker class educational team to put educational aspects into the work of all departments and to ensure that all the content produced by Booker meets the highest possible educational quality standards. And so there's something there we can dig into as well around technology, storytelling, and so on. So um, that's the introduction. Uh, Some amazing breadth of experience and approaches there. I suppose just to kind of build off the back of that, it'd be really good just to go around and talk about what your innovation is and what technology is, is, is relevant to how you're to how you're going about your delivery of it as well. So, um, Marie, you're in my top left, so I'm going to uh, jump in with you first, if that's okay. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, you know, early education, as you said, is a much underlooked sector when it comes to edtech, and it's a bit alarming because scientific studies have proven that for every dollar invested in early education, you've ha- you have a huge multiple of gains uh, in the long term when you start young and when you educate kids properly when they're young, uh, it gives them so much more chance to have academic success in the future. And so I got interested in early education through the Montessori method. And the Montessori method puts a highlight on um, sensoriality and how the body is involved in in the cognitive development of an early child. And so she used to say, the hand is the instrument of the mind. And so when I discovered the way um, the Montessori method teaches addition and subtraction, I found that she had really nailed something that was so essential about how the way we interact with things with our hands can unlock things in our minds. And so I started exploring how we could blend a tangible approach to digital. And um, that's how I came about with uh, my first product, which was a set of 10 uh, wooden numbers that are detected by touch screens. And so these touch screens, so iPads and other tablets are fascinating because 
away from computer interaction that is more like keyboard and mouse stuff, you have very natural interactions that can happen with these new touchscreens. So you can have touch, you can have voice recognition, you can, you, you can have lots of stuff. And this can help kids be involved with all their senses to a digital terminal. And so that's why we have um, blended with our products. Fantastic. Thank you. There's a couple of points there I'd love to come back to. And one for the whole group to think about for later is like that fear of, but won't my child get distracted by all the other things available on on touchscreens or on the internet? So how you how you contain that world? But anyway, I'll park that one. We'll, we'll keep going around. So um, uh, Natalie, um, yeah, that idea of uh, what your innovation is in early years and the technology you're using to scale it would be fab. Yes, sure. So actually, the the I would say that the real start is that the children are born with an amazing potential to learn foreign languages. And if we don't activate that potential, it will kind of decrease. So the idea is that we all know now that the potential is here for the young children, but still it remains a real challenge to help uh, children and teachers get exposed to foreign languages at the very early age. So that's a real challenge in most of the countries, except I would say Northern Europe or Singapore, most of the countries still fight today to have young children exposed to foreign languages. So the idea was really to find a simple turnkey solution to help teachers expose teachers or parents, because the, the, the method is for both home usage or school usage, to help teachers and parents expose young children to foreign languages. And uh, the best, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, is really peer-to-peer -peer learning. When a child is talking with another child, very naturally, it would listen, it would imitate, and it would be very active in the process. So the idea is uh, to create a connection, a strong emotional connection, with videos of children teaching, teaching their own language on a weekly basis. So every week there is one video lasting 10 to 15 minutes and the children are going to watch three, five times the video and then move on to the next, the next one. And they will learn more than 250 words in one year with a perfect accent. So that's very important. And the technology is here to support the teachers. So I would say it's quite basic because it's a platform with a lot of content, pedagogical supports that can, can be downloaded and shared. Uh, the technology is here to support the children learning and to make something that is not, that is kind of impossible is to have in your own class or in your own uh, living room, I would say, uh, in your own living room, a, a child coming from another country sharing his or her own language. So that's really the key, uh, the key point. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, we've we've had some interesting um, guests on the show over the years, like uh, VIP Kid and, and and others in in that space. So I'd love to love to come back round to that one. Um, and Sari, with the with Kitty Science, could you tell us a little bit about your approach as well, please? Yes, uh, I really was excited to hear from Marie and Natalie because we really are in the similar space where we really believe on the hands-on learning uh, when the children are really young, that they do something with their hands-on, uh, not only screens or in the screens, which I think it's every parent's uh, nightmare to think about that the kids are only watching the screens. 
And I think the same uh, from Natalie that the kids are um, really natural in the space when they're communicating with each other. And that's also what we do with um, Kitty Science, that the children are communicating their findings and reporting back to others and finding out together. So those are the similarities. But then uh, about Kitty Science, it was uh, maybe a bit different story uh, for some other edtech startups is that we were having five years of academic research in the University of Helsinki by our other founder, Jenni Vartiainen. And um, there she tried to find throughout the years with 1000 families with young children between three to six year olds, how to really engage the young children towards investigating and problem solving, kind of how they would be loved by science, not hate about it because they feel it's too hard, uh, which was my teenage years, the case. I hated physics and math and science and all those things because it was like too overwhelming for me. But how to already engage uh, young children about finding how the world around them functions in the early years. And uh, of course, the science is the most uh, easiest way to teach that uh, problem solving and investigate uh, their surroundings. Uh, but nowadays we do have all the subjects and we also support the language learning and communication and all those uh, things that are natural through science process skills uh, learning. Um, and then maybe a bit different uh, compared to Natalie or Mary is that we actually have the platform for teachers and parents, so to the adults. And then they get all the resources they need uh, through lesson plans. And then they can keep the hands-on problem-solving uh, lessons with the children in the classroom or at home, even at the kitchen. Every lesson in kids science starts with stories. Mm -hmm. So that is the similarity with Booker Kids then, that we really believe that you are really child-centric and triggering the imagination of the children that they don't just think what could be the fact or what's the reality uh, in the world. We start from the imagination where they are entering superland, the fantasy world where everything is uh, possible. And that's how we trigger that the kids can be really innovative and they don't have any barriers to think how to solve problems or how to innovate new things. And I think we need that as adults more yeah. and more as well. <laughs> 100%. I'd love to come back to that point, actually, just, just after we hear from Dom Dominica, because, uh, yeah, I think that's really, really interesting tensions with who's involved behind successful ed tech companies and, 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 and kind of maintaining true to your original vision. So um, we'll come back to that. But uh, yeah, Dominica, I'd love to hear a little bit about Booker Kids and yeah, your approach and uh, your technology or use of technology as well would be fab. Okay, so our mission started with uh, the information that children are reading less and less, and that could kind of determine their academic uh, performance later on, because those children who were read to at least uh, one story a day, by the age of six, they will hear 1.5 million more words than those who were not read to. So that was the biggest shock for us, I can say. So reading and getting into um, the love of reading to raise readers really um, depends on the early education or the early years. And although we are not mainly for early years, because Booker class is more for K-12, but we have many customers who use it uh, in kindergarten and we have B2C customers, families 
using Booker Class at home as well. So you can see on the street or in restaurants that children are given uh, phones to watch YouTube videos, which puts them in a very passive role. They just sit there and watch, which is very good because they stay silent and calm. So parents like to use it as a calming tool, but that is uh, not that productive for them anymore. So we had to figure out a way to build a bridge between the new generational needs and the love of reading. So somehow connect them back to the the books. So that's why that's how we came up with our first app, which was a Hungarian product. It it still is. And uh, thousands of families are using it at the moment. This contains Hungarian classics in a very interactive and animated digital format. Uh, And that was very successful. And we wanted to do some more with it. So we did some research on the format. And it turned out that this can be very uh, useful and very easily implemented into the educational environment as well, because this digital format allows teachers to to use several different uh, classroom settings. They can use it for individual work. They can use it for frontal teaching. And stories are something that can engage children very easily in a language, in a foreign language, or even in, in learning in general. So we developed our second product, the flagship product, Bukurkas, which is a language learning and teaching app for K-12. And it contains animated storybooks, more than 600 books already, with games focusing on various language skills. And we also created a teacher's dashboard for the teachers with extra supporting materials and uh, statistics, because then we figured that they actually want to see what the kids are doing on their phones or tablets, really using the stories and storytelling to, to engage the newest generations, because new generations need new generational educational tools. So we have to work on that. And that's a really interesting point. And are any of you only delivering through direct-to-consumer, or are you all also engaging with formal, earlier settings? We're both B2B and B2C. Uh, our sales team mostly focusing on B2B, but it is available for families as well from the App Store and from Google Play. But we work with uh, afternoon programs, nurseries, primary schools, private schools, and also uh, public schools as well. In fact, uh, Booker Class is an official textbook in the Hungarian public schools. So schools can buy it from their own public budget. And we have about 200 schools using it, the whole school. So that's pretty exciting. We are in the institutional setting as well. Yeah, the same, yeah. No, I mean, just just to put that uh, question into context, I think what was really interesting reading your profiles is there's this real strength in in, in sort of um, marketing and working with brands and understanding... um, the, the storytelling aspect that we were just talking about. And um, one of the past guests I had on the podcast in the very early days was um, uh, a really incredible physicist. And she was kind of sick of hearing about, you know, the negatives of, oh, we only have X percent of women in STEM. And instead she was like, what we need to do instead is is talk about, um, you know, getting people of those positions, like female scientists or whatever it is, in popular culture. And um, especially when I was thinking about kiddie science, I think I was, 
thinking about, you know, Sesame Street and what a huge impact that had. And so I'd really love to kind of hear from all of you, like, I suppose, about how important is it to to, to have those aha moments that we just talked about and to to have the storytelling and, and set all of your amazing missions in popular culture so that it converts and whether there was any pressure in terms of either sort of school settings or in investor frameworks there's a pressure to then make that very measurable and make it and reduce it down and so how do you fight against that and keep keep the creative aspects that which is what early years uh and, and children really respond to like we know that so I think that's quite an interesting thing as founders for you to to probably grapple with and I'd love to kind of hear how you how you approach that as well I can start because we are quite um, in that space that you mentioned the Sesame Street. And when we actually started with Kitty Science, um, the first thing wasn't that we made a platform. We actually made a TV show here in National TV Channel in Finland. So everybody actually knows us and our two founders, Jenny and Aino, because they were the actors (laughs) in the TV show and co-producers for the TV show. So we really definitely wanted exactly to have the role models for young children through TV, that they can be female scientists. And also there were kids, young kids doing the science activities with Jenny and I know in the TV show. So we really wanted to come to homes through parents. But then we actually quite quickly noticed that even teachers used the TV show, which was only like 10 minutes episodes. And they used those in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. And they asked, of course, there was only like one season involved, 10 episodes. So it wasn't that much. And teachers were asking more and more of those, which then kind of became more of a lesson plans that you can do those and then have the activities also in the school. So we have had both like the need or um, demand from parents, but also from the teachers. And I think that's really special in early years education for all of us because the parents should be also super much involved in the early years and of course for example even in us from the research it it was shown that you need to build the bridges that it doesn't happen only in kindergarten and the learning and everything it doesn't stop when they go home and that's why for example we even have the home experiments and we have the stories that you can read them also as a bedtime stories we have the characters and as you mentioned the popular card culture and all those kind of things even sesame street uh for example now we are doing cooperation with dreamworks animation of their new tv show animation gabby's dollhouse so we've really tried to combine that the things that kids are anyway interested about and then building bridges to the early years education to the parents at home and make it more fun yeah, I, I mean, just just to kind of jump off the back of that very quickly, um, I completely agree because in in the UK there's this um, campaign. It's called "Turn on the Subtitles" or something like this. It's TOTS. I can't remember the acronym, but basically the the idea behind it is that if you just have subtitles on as a default setting, especially for children's channels, that the learning advancements are really significant, and so they're trying to sort of push this with broadcasters as a, as a default that you have to turn off as opposed to turn on. Um, so it's just really fascinating, like uh, the sort of chocolate covered broccoli idea. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Natalie, what, what what's your take on all of this? Well, I think the role model that Sari was just talking about is just so important, especially for young children, 
And, uh, and this is all we've been working on with, uh, with Coco Lingua, meaning that the, the native speakers from uh, England, from Australia, from the United States are going to teach their own language with some really based on the Montessori as Mary's approach. So based on the Montessori's approach, the children are going to share their everyday life, their activity and so on. And the learning children are going to imitate. There is a kind of mimicry going on and the children are imitating, they are copying and it's becoming a little bit like role, like models that they want to get friends with. Mm -hmm. And then very naturally, if they are learning that at home, uh, at school, they will replicate that at home and they will count like when they are in the kitchen they will count the tomatoes or the apples and so on so that role model is super important and, and what we've seen is that when the children are learning with children their own age through the videos for example at one point they want to become teachers as well mm -hmm. and that's really funny because the children have been learning with the cocoa kids from the uk united states and so on for two years and at one point they say I want to become a teacher as well. I want to teach French or I want to teach my own language as well. And they, they are getting active in the, in the learning process and they are filming themselves. And this is another part of the product, which we called My Cocoa Friends Around the World. And it's children filming themselves and teaching their own language. So still we follow a pedagogical path to make sure it does have an impact on the learning process. Uh, but it's less, I would say, less less structured uh, than the Kokoho Lingua program. But still, there is this question about roles, about the di diversity. We have in the videos as many as many girls as boys, children from all over the world. So the children can really imitate and be part of the story. Fantastic. I can see so many benefits to that in terms of you know, the the communication skills generally of the child or media skills or their well-being from getting out what's happening in their days. I'd love to come back to you all on, on your price points as well for people listening in who are, who are like, oh, this is interesting. So, uh, and Marie, how about yourself on, on, on that kind of point of popular culture or how to kind of connect as well? Yeah, I love that you mentioned um, chocolate-covered broccoli because, you know, it's not a very well-known saying, but it's it has been one of my mottos when I started, you know, this, this startup. So for people who are not aware about that, so it's just saying that if the learning is the broccoli, let's not make like the tech or video gaming aspect of it like a chocolate that is covering the broccoli. And that's one of the things that Maria Montessori touched really um, precisely. She said there is a very strong desire in each child to, to, to learn and to be curious. And um, one of the, the, the main aspects that we teach with our tool is the very early reading. So when you get to know which phonic is associated to which letter, then combining those phonics to make syllables and then like spelling out your first words. And I don't know if you have seen a child do that for the first time. It's like a burst of joy, of explo an explosion of, of, of like curiosity and just pure joy because unlocking the written uh, speech is 
like discovering a massive secret that kids have. And so um, she insisted, Maria Montessori, that this pure joy of learning was enough and you didn't need to entice the kids with a lot of rewards and a lot of gamification. And so for us as a startup, it's definitely been a journey. Um, in the beginning, having very purist interfaces where we didn't have a lot of extreme, extrinsic uh, rewards, like yeah, gamification tools such as getting points, getting you know bonuses when you succeed to to do something, and then we needed to sprinkle it a bit of that still because, um, as you mentioned, Sophie, there's also competition when the kid is inside your app on the tablet, he still knows that there is YouTube. On you know on the on the right hand and and other apps, so you still need them to be engaged and focused on whatever you're proposing to them. But one of our main motives is that learning in itself is sufficient, and so you'd better have a very like fresh organic broccoli, like uh, with a bit of butter, but not chocolate inside of it. So yeah, I'm really attached to that. I, I think that's a really um, interesting um, thing to hear because, you know, for the last five years, it's, uh, you know, we do this for engagement and gaming. And and then I had a guest on recently and his whole thing was around intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's all these things we can do to nudge people. But ultimately, you know, it feels a little bit hollow sometimes because you're like you're being sort of dragged through this process sort of rather than like just having that hunger and so that's a real that's a really interesting design question I think so yeah it's a great point yeah yes I think it's the same one we are thinking about people think that we do magic tricks like you can think about doing some science activities a magic trick but if you actually see kids watching a magic trick show they are not that interested about it if they are not actually doing it and creating the aha moments themselves, then it's just a show. And I think that's the same with rewards and everything. It's If it's not natural aha moment for kids that they figured out something, then it's just a top on chocolate for the broccoli. I think it's the same uh, what I was telling about the YouTube videos. If they are in a passive role, if they are just watching and enjoying something, that is a really different cognitive state for them. So it doesn't really stuck in their mind. So it's not actually learning. It's just, okay, watching something. But if you see your own action, if you see the consequences of your own actions, or if you see what happens in real life, or you can actually put that in practice, that is when real uh, knowledge develops. I mean, it'd be really interesting to hear now that, now that everyone's got a sense of what you're doing. Um, yeah, a little bit about where your business is going in the next six months, six to 12 months. And and. Um... And also your price point and how you engage on that level as well would be, would be great. So uh, we'll go back around the other way. Dominica, do you want to jump in first? Yes. So we work through distributors mostly if we are talking about B2B. So if it's an institute, we always set up a different deal, which can depend on the size of the school, the size of the group of children and things like that. But if we are talking about families, they can purchase uh, subscriptions. So we are subscription-based. They can purchase uh, for one month, three months, six months, or I think even for a year. They can buy it in the App Store or the Google Play uh, and also on our website. And I think for the next six months, we want to grow our uh, distributor network 
we're quite big in Latin America already and Turkey, Greece, uh, Korea and the Middle East as well. And we want to broaden our scale uh, in the Southeast Asia part, Malaysia and things like that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Natalie, would you like to jump in? Yes, yeah, sure. So um, maybe I will, I will start with our price point, which is 150 uh, euros per school per year. Um, with an access to uh, more than uh, 35 uh, videos and pedagogical support and uh, downloadable material. Um, and it's uh, 130 for a family for one-year access as well. Uh, for families, we do actually recommend the two years access because whenever we start with a methodology to learn a foreign language, it's always better to keep the same same approach to help the child in the in the long-term process. So this is what we recommend, but then it's really completely open to book just for one year. Um, we are actually in the process of raising funds now. We've been uh, fully uh, self, uh, self-financed self so far, like bootstrapped. So, but now we are we are willing to expand. I mean, the market fit did prove that it's, uh, it is successful as we are now uh, reaching... Um, more than 200,000 children worldwide, mainly in French-speaking countries, uh, but now expanding to the Italian market, uh, some European countries as well, and Japan. And, um, and then with, uh, the, the idea is really with uh, the fund raised to be able to, to target a few additional markets and, uh, and continue the growth. Very exciting. Um... Cool. And uh, Sari? Yes. So everybody, no matter if you are a parent or caregiver or teacher, you can start the free trial from our website, kidascience.com or also kidalearning.com, which is our future that we are more and more not only about science, but all the earliest topics. Um, And the free trial actually includes uh, every week a free lesson plan. And then we have paid features. And if you actually want full access that you want to do more than one lesson a week, then you can uh, pay the monthly or yearly subscription. And of course, we uh, highly recommend the yearly subscription because that is so cheap at the moment. Uh, For the individuals, if you are a teacher or a caregiver or parent, it's only 39 euro uh, per year. And um, then if it's only a monthly subscription, then it's 790 euro or pounds or dollars. So it might be cheaper for you, depending where are you living. Depending (laughs) on which day it is at the moment as well. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And um, we actually have paying subscribers from all the continents um, and uh, from 30 countries. Um, we have schools and uh, individuals, even homeschool teachers, parents. The solution and all the content is now in English. So quite many people, even in Southeast Asian countries or Latin America, they are as a teacher using it in English, but then they can keep the lessons with their own language. Um, but in general, the content is now um, only in English. And that is the focus for the next six months to grow even bigger in English speaking markets. And quite often we actually see that there are individual teachers who really love the product. For example, what we saw with one of the uh, biggest customers in UK, the Monkey Puzzle Day Nursery, is that the teachers started, then recommended to other teachers, and then the chain owner decided to buy to the all locations. 
So we want to approach more like that the teachers really see the value and then they make the decision that, okay, we want to use this. And then they go as an ambassadors to the decision maker to then make the decision to buy. So we don't do that much of B2B sales. And for businesses, there are more features and certifications and marketing materials and onboarding, personal support. It's easy to start. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And um, I was thinking when you were speaking, all of you, whether versus the other ed tech companies that are perhaps more broad, that you must have this like camaraderie because you're all tackling early years and that has different challenges around fragmented market. Like you don't have the scale of, say, perhaps big school chains, but... So it's different. It's certainly different challenges, I would imagine. But um, uh, and Marie, yeah, yeah. So um, the price point of my products, um, it's as, as Sari said, you can start small. Um, we have the wooden kits start from thirty euros or dollars, as you wish, uh, to a hundred that would be like the deluxe kit with the letters and the numbers with a beautiful wooden chest. And um, you can, whenever you have that kit, you have access to activities inside the iPad app. And also, if you want to unlock more content, you can unlock the premium content with a subscription that is around nine euros or dollars a month. And so our goals in in the six to 12 months um, is really to expand in many more languages. So we, I I think that's, something that we have in common, all of us, you know, European ed tech startups is that from day one, we needed to do our own language and also English and also other European languages as well. So right now we have European, we have American English, we have British English, we have French, uh, we just localize in German and Dutch and Swedish. And we hope to expand in, you know, other languages until, you know, this fall. And one of our, you know, goals is to get into much more schools. We do also have B2C and B2B offers. And uh, for us, having our products used inside academic settings is very much rewarding because we know that in that way, we can reach to kids that wouldn't really necessarily have the chance to have access to our products in a home setting because they don't have an iPad or their parents don't have the means or ideas to get like ed tech products, innovative ed tech products. So for us, it's really important to have both like these B2C and B2B uh, foundations. Yeah, actually, that's going to be one of my questions later on is that idea of access and um, yeah, getting, getting that learning to sort of reaching those users and those early years learners that perhaps wouldn't necessarily benefit because it's procured by a parent and and that kind of thing. So um, that's really interesting. Um, cool. So I mean, one one quick question. So we mentioned investment. Is I was intrigued to know, you know, whether investment in early years is expanding generally, or 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 if there's, you know, is there a challenge around conveying early years uh, because of a perception of what the market is. Um, or is that changing as well? Any insights to anyone listening on, you know, in- investment into innovation in the space and whether that's, you know, how that's perceived as an opportunity externally would be really interesting. I can start. Um, it's, um, I think in general, the ed tech also has been changed a lot, uh, even throughout the four 
years we have been uh, in this business um, that four years ago when we started to fundraise, nobody was interested about EdTech. They were like, what? That There's no business in EdTech or anything like that. Um, but now it's like really, really so. Even general VCs and investors are now approaching, for example, us a lot uh, that they see that there's a huge potential and it's growing. But I have to say that in the early years, uh, because VCs really look into companies and businesses that can give us their back their money like 10 times or even 100 times back. And it's more likely that in higher education, uh, people are spending much more money and they come, they take it from their own pocket. So there are more like these B2, B2C solutions or then in higher well, what is it, the um, HR, uh, corporate learning and those type of things when the businesses are willing to pay like thousands and tens of thousands of uh, <laughs> euros money for those solutions. And in that sense, the early years childhood education to try to fundraise, it's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Uh, they think that is there enough budget? Do people have money to pay for it? And there are challenges, but I think every investor also knows more and more that that those are the years you make the biggest impact. And that's also exactly. now the highest growing uh, sector. I think the biggest problem is that uh, early years development cannot be that countable. So they cannot really measure it in numbers and tests and things like that. Although we know it from research that uh, the stronger base we get, the less effort we need later. But still, since it's not countable, they don't know um, what kind of data they should rely on. Yeah. And there's also, you know, the fragmentation of the go-to-market strategy. Because when you have a product that is designed for higher education and big universities, you can sell your solution, potentially have like thousands of licenses with one, you know, actor. When it comes to early education, kids are much more likely to be in smaller structures and to get access to those structures can, can be daunting, you know, and investors are maybe afraid of that. So there needs to have a structured approach to, you know, have to get access to public or private, um, like preschool environments to sell your solution. Yeah, so maybe finding those real impact investors is, and value-aligned investors is very important. So if they're listening in, get in touch. Um, okay, on that note, I'll just kind of round out. So, Sari, in your uh, guest form, you said that, but no matter what I've scared felt or uh, I have felt scared or felt bad or not achieved, I am so optimistic that nothing stops me to think I can do anything, achieve in life, which I absolutely <laughs> loved. I kind of want to put that in a bottle and then when I need it, I can just like tap into that. Uh, so but what makes you think like this? What, how, you know, people listening, any advice? How do you keep, how do you keep going? <laughs> keep buoyant? That's a really hard question. I would love to have a recipe for it and give it to everybody. <laughs> but I think it's a combination of um, personality uh, also how I have been raised uh, as of like from my parents maybe um, and like I was never um, in a really stressed situation that I have to for example get 10 out of 10 from the tests or I wasn't like the I have never been the perfectionist mm -hmm. in a way it's more like I can do uh, enough 
and that's enough. And I even celebrate that. And that I have tried to also um, do in our company with our team that let's celebrate all the small wins because then the big wins and big targets are much easier to achieve and more fun because you can, we even have these sparkling wine moments, alcohol or without alcohol every Friday to celebrate the successes throughout the weeks. And it's like, we really have to find every week something to celebrate and be really, really excited about. So I think that's part of the nature, like, please try to celebrate the wins. Uh, Those are like small things come to a bigger part than in this world. Brilliant, brilliant. Just in the last few minutes, if so anything you'd like to share with our audience, and that can be in the space of early years or just generally. For me, uh, maybe I would like to start. So for me, the biggest inspiration is the Lego Education and Lego Foundation and the whole Lego group, what they're doing, because I know Lego from my own childhood and they were just blocks for me, but I love to play with them. And looking at them now, oh my gosh, they went so far with education. They have so many very good resources. They do a lot of research. They found so many good uh, new projects all over the world. They do a lot of charity. So I'm just in love with them. And I would love to work with them, just as a side note. And uh, just let me tell you an example. As I'm a psychologist, I'm really um inspired by um companies who didn't really focus on psychology yet they found a way to put that into their work and into their products and there is a very good uh, there was a very good project from lego they used um emotional blocks so they had many different facial expressions that children could put on their own blocks on top of their blocks and put it on their desks that is very good for self-awareness. They will, um, you know, learn how to express their own feelings and how to show to others. And you will be able to see the others' feelings and mental states for the day. And they had a very fascinating result that even if the children put a sad face on their on their table in the beginning of the days, since the others recognized it, they made a lot of effort to change that sad face into something happier. So that encouraged children to help each other and to lift each other. And I think that's a wonderful tool for that and a, a very good message. And I always take it with me and I always tell others because it's just amazing. Well, actually, for uh, one person who does inspire me since the beginning is Maria Montessori, probably as Marie. But I think what she's done is so amazing. It was like 100 years ago, but still it is on, still it is working. And it's being connected to the real child, uh, connecting education to, to peace in the world. So for me, she's, she's an example for education, which really kind of overpasses anyone else uh, yeah. because she showed us a way and it is still efficient because it's based on the human center, on the human uh, heart and not on only technologies. And no, we are really focusing on the child uh, as, as a complete human person and helping the child to get developed for a better world, for a world of peace, a world of communication. And that's for me really 
the example. I'm sure there are many, many others, but for me, that's the one that makes my heart beat every day when I'm when I'm coming to work. Yeah, I want to highlight the Lego, Lego, especially actually the resources and articles and reports that Lego Foundation have made. I really, really hope every parent and every teacher, early childhood educator would read those reports because I think we've still really much struggle the playful learning setting that people think it's just play. It's not learning. It's not impactful. And I think the Lego Foundation have done an amazing job of actually making really scientific reports about that, how impactful it is. So I hope everybody can read that. Uh, I think we all kind of support that method, which is also the Montessori <laughs> type of way um, in many ways. Um, and then actually for other um, edtech startup founders, I would love to um, highlight that, um, well, in the US, there are two different uh, networks or organizations uh, the other one is actually focused on early years education uh, founders, uh, Promise Venture Studio, and they have a lot of resources, webinars, uh, accelerators, um, and all those kind of things, network with the Slack, Slack group and everything. And then the other one is in general for all the edtech startup um, founders is Project Founded. And those are both something that you can just try to find them uh, and they're uh, websites and then uh, apply to just join doesn't cost anything or they don't take any equity but I have found them really really helpful resources and networks uh, as a startup founder yeah so you were asking what kept keeps us going I think we all founded these startups out of passion and out of vision of how we could transform education on our small scale or big scale and I think that's also one of the reasons that we still um, there and we still want to do it and we're still ambitious about it so um, I think yeah it, it boils down to that it's just not going you know to this to this sector as a like career path it's more like a, a vision and a mission aspect to it and when it comes to be inspired, um, and you were just recently like talking about neurodiversity, we recently joined in TikTok, you know, the big buzz about TikTok. So we just say, like, what the hell, let's go to TikTok. And so we found that uh, surprisingly, you know, a lot of our videos without even advertising were getting viral. So we had several videos getting like 1 million views. And we recently found an organic video from um, a young boy, a six-year-old. So typically our toys are used, our tools are used for two to five, but when a child has a special need, it can go up. And so there's this six-year-old boy using our alphabet and spelling his first word. And he's so exciting and pure joy on of his face is so radiant. And, you know, having those, we watched that video as a whole team meeting and we were such, so inspired, you know, by, by that. So it's, great to see that our products are useful, that they're appreciated for special needs and for every kid. And that helps us keep going. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, thank you all so much. And uh, yeah, I feel uplifted now. So that's brilliant. Uh, we will, of course, drop all of your links uh, in the show notes. Yeah, thank you all so much. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything over the next six to 12 months and beyond. And uh, yeah, I'll be in touch. So thank you. Thank you very much. It was very nice to talk to you all. <laughs> it's great. Thank you, Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye bye. Nice. Thanks. Take bye. care. Bye.
That's all for this week's episode. Thanks so much to all of the guests, Learnosity and Worktrip for supporting this week's episode and to all of you for listening. If you want a bit of work-based distraction, do always feel free to go and leave us a review on the podcast. Otherwise, that's it. Until next time, bye-bye.